And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Thought we would uh, be talking about a three-game win streak. You know, I think I think it's always good when you and I do because whenever Harm and I do our regular show, it's always after just a gut-wrenching loss, which has happened pretty frequently this year. I'm not going to lie. So, um, interesting game. It, it's like anytime Vancouver got ahead, they played awful. Uh, whenever it was tied, they played really solid. And um, and here we are, six wins. Sorry, five wins in their last six games. Yeah, so they're one point out of a playoff spot. Sort by point percentage, buddy. Sorry, sort by point percentage. Don't make me tap the sign. <laughs> <laughs> they look, only one game. They're giving up one game in hand to the teams ahead of them. They're sitting there and you know, respectively Edmonton and St. Louis. They are right there. The bandwagon is filling up as we speak, just like the live room audiences. Yeah, I mean, they'll have passed the... Washington Capitals, once the full accounting it comes in, and they'll be 23rd in the NHL by point percentage uh, as a result of the win tonight. You know, the thing about like one point out at this point in the season is only a quarter of the season has run, right? So one point out at this point of the season is five points out. Yeah, for sure. You know, you have to think about it that way, uh, which is why use point percentage when games are uneven in midseason. Don't make me tap the sign, but look. Hey, anything is possible, Drencher. I, no, it's not. Not no, it's not. Stop. You were you were in this. the you were in the promo. <laughs> I mean, the thing about what's possible and what's not, right, is when you're this early in the season, the Canucks dented their playoff hopes with the way they started out. But you know, they were always like they never went below something like twenty ish percent, which was the peak of where their odds got to down the stretch last season 
it, it, you, you know, with the Bruce There It Is run. Um, the Bruce There It Is Canucks had no runway. This team always had 60, 65 plus games of runway. And now going 6-1-0 and or 5-1-0, and excuse me, over the last six, they've put themselves back to where they would be if, you know, you win two games on that opening five game road trip, right? Like you, yeah, yeah. you get yourself back to level. Or imagine, it. imagine if those seven games that they blew two goal leads in. Imagine if they had just won three of them. For sure, but they did. They didn't. I know. And, <laughs> and and those games that they blew seven goal leads in, you know, like the way that they blow leads tells us a lot about this team. I mean, we saw the third period tonight. Like, yeah, the third period was was interesting. There's no doubt. I mean, when you, when you look at this. Yeah, first they give up a power play goal five seconds into that, uh, you know, and yeah, it, it was, was the worst. Yeah, for, no doubt. But then from there, just over a minute later, they wind up coming back. Uh, Mikheyev with the goal, uh, Kuzmenko and Pedersen with the assist. That line was was humming throughout the game. Cooking, I thought. cooking, absolutely cooking. Uh, Pedersen um, from Ekman Larson and Mikheyev, and then all of a sudden, you know, th- when you look at the goal that tied the game, um, you know, it just. It, it wasn't like they were hemorrhaging, like we've seen in other games this year. And you knew that San Jose was going to get a push, but every time Vancouver has a lead. Well, you knew San Jose. <laughs> San Jose, San Jose is not great, but Vancouver's also <laughs> on the second in the back-to-backs. And, you know, yeah. you, you thought that at some point there'd be some fatigue, some push, some score effects. It does happen. Yeah. I mean, unless you're in no, the and you've got that late push you need, and you don't always get it. And this but, is a found uh, money win. Like, this was a really, this was a schedule loss all day. So this no is question, a found yeah. money win. And credit to them, you know, I wouldn't have been crushing them for blowing it. Well, if you would if it was if they would have lost five out of six points in this on this trip and just come away with oh, one. Oh, sure, oh, sure, sure. But the, I mean, then then it's like this is a schedule loss. This is not the one that's too bad. What's too bad is that they couldn't afford this. Um, now they've you know won three in a row. Um, so look globally, let's talk about this. Okay, they've put themselves back into what could be called a race. Um, for sure. They are, you know, not, they're still in the chase pack, but they're within sight of that playoff bar. And this team is built to accomplish that, right? Like that is what this organization wants. That's what this organization has always wanted. Um, it seemed like a dismal possibility when the club was absolutely sputtering on the East coast just two weeks ago. And now, you know, they're, they're very much in the thick of it. Uh, I see a lot of things that don't surprise me about this team's form, and I see some things that do. I I think when you look at what's brought us to this point, like the club's shooting 13% five-on-five, right, over the course of this six-game streak, five wins, one loss, Um, 42% expected goals percentage. (laughs) So, you know, the good times may be built on a foundation of sand here, but, (laughs) but we knew that we knew that, you know, and we also knew, I think that this Canucks team wasn't going to be one of the worst in the league. Like we knew, or at least felt confident that this team was too good to fail, right. Was too good to truly spectacularly fail. Uh, Sure. But when we we saw that, you know, for me, I had the Canucks at like somewhere between 95 and 97 points. Right. And I had them right on the bubble of the eight spot. And you, you had them a little bit below that. And 
Um, and so, but nonetheless, when it was hemorrhaging for the first 20 games, um, we certainly saw things in there that thought, okay, yeah, they're going to get a little bit better. Their power play is going to improve a little bit. Demko is going to tread water at some point. Their penalty killing can't be this bad. You know, and we saw all of those types of things, but we still saw some things in this team structure that led us to believe that, okay, well, look, they're at now at this point, 95, 97, like that's probably fantasy land. And they're probably going to be somewhere in the 80s, and they should probably be in a position where they should be sellers sooner than later. They should be, you know, maybe not at the bottom for Bedard, but the bottom five picks or the top five picks in the draft are all valuable. And they should put themselves in a position to do that. And now they could be back at that 95 to 97 point well, window. I still think they should, right? I, I mean, I my my opinion's not changed. I see the so, same things. And in fact, and, in fact, I still am fading like this team is trending and again i, I want to see them play 30 games before i really get to where i'm saying what they are what i think they are but the way things are trending in terms of their five on five form like they are worse than i expected they are far beneath my priors of what i thought this team was and that's even with you know some additions that have really popped guys who've really helped like ethan bear and, and andre kuzmenko this team is worse five on five than I was expecting them to be, and not by a, not by a little bit, like by a fair bit to this point. Um, you know, in in a few weeks, that'll that'll be really indicative of their true talent. And at some point, they're not going to keep converting at the highest clip in the league. I mean, you have a lot of talent on this roster, and so you have these high floors, or sorry, these high this high ceiling where you have games like in Vegas the other night where they just absolutely throw their fastball on the power play and, you know, play Logan Thompson off with like, right? Like they might as well have picked him with a cane. It was incredible. Just a, just a massive flex of offensive firepower. But you also have this low floor where this team can go weeks losing in the most preposterous ways. And that's, you know, like, here's here's what I want to sort of talk about. Mediocrity, true mediocrity in NHL terms, when you're built in this way, high ceiling, high floor, can be hard to see clearly because you're always all things at once, right? So you're losing, but you're losing in ways where it's like there's still moments of hope. You have the lead, then you cough it up, right? Um but at the end of the day, you go seven games with like one point and you're hooped. You can't afford to have that happen more than once in a season or, or you're done. Like a really good team, a team with a high baseline, right? That doesn't have the same peaks and valleys, boom bust makeup is able to, you know, get through one of those stretches of seven games where things aren't running their way or they're starting goaltenders having some yips and they come out of it with, you know, four points instead of instead of the six that they might have when things are rolling for them. And this Canucks team doesn't have that baseline. So you're going to, you're still going to get these highs because there's skill on this roster, but, but you're not going to get like, they're still going to hit those moments where they're not number one in the league by save percentage for 57 games, the way they were last season or number one in the league by shooting percentage, the way they have been for the last two weeks. And right, when, listen, no, oh, but when ahead. the floor, when the floor gives out, when the floor gives out, that's when you learn what a team is. And when the floor gives out, this team has nothing to fall back on. So 
enjoy this because it's fun, especially watching the Pedersen, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko line just absolutely cook. I think they've stumbled onto something pretty good, too, with uh, Hoaglander, Horvat, Miller. I think that's sort of a, been a big part of what we've seen is they've found a way to get something meaningful out of Horvat and Miller at five on five, something that wasn't happening earlier in the season. So, you know, there's things that are good. There's things that I like here for sure. So let's, let's stay, let's stay there for a minute rather than taking the the 10,000 foot view. Um, Just because there is a lot of micro that, that is working right now. And I think there, and there's so much to talk about just today only with the Vancouver Canucks, because we, uh, most of us know about uh, uh, the Rachel Dory human rights claims that have been made. Of course, she was in the analytics department and then in the coaching staff and then got dismissed by the team. The the club also made a statement about that. So we want to get into that at some point as well. And then, you know, we can, we can kind of finish with what's to come, but uh, you know, as far as this game is concerned, um, there's the Thatcher Demko discussion, but before we even get there, Kuzmenko, like the top line specifically right now was really, really enjoyable to watch. But when you look at Kuzmenko right now, and he's on a five-game point streak. He's had multiple points in four of those five games, a goal and an assist tonight, uh, including the game winner in overtime, um, and a guy that's on a one-year deal and what that's going to look like. And I know that uh, I think uh, Rick Dollywell posted something about his agent, Dan Milstein, talking about you know the fact that he hasn't even thought about a number yet, but he, and he's just so proud of what the player is doing um, because you know this is kind of uncharted territory as far as the Canucks were concerned relative to expectations of the player. But let's let's start with Kuzmenko and what he's doing right now in his first season. This guy, and this organization has done a lot wrong, but getting him was a pretty big score. And just how impressed are you with how he's playing right now? Yeah, I am. And and I'm impressed by the finishing. The wrist shot plays, seriously plays, when he's got some time and space. The passing is probably the part of his game I like best. He just sees the ice in a really unique, fun way. Uh, it's it's a joy to watch. And then the neutral zone impact is real. He can carry the puck. He contributes to that line in terms of their ability to move up and down the sheet. Um, you know, I don't think he's been just a passenger by any means. I think he's been a key part, a key driver of that line with Pedersen. And so, yeah, I'm really impressed, wildly impressed, particularly because I wasn't super high on him based on what we saw in preseason at training camp. Uh, you know, I thought I thought this was incredible. Like, I, I really think what we've seen from him uh, looks real to me, uh, looks meaningful. I, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about what we've seen from uh, Andre Kuzmenko. I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying on Kuzmenko. I think he's a f- fantastic piece and can help anyone. Like, honestly, he's, you know, I don't think this is just Pedersen is throwing fireballs. And so it's making everyone around him look better. Uh, you know, I think Mikheyev's offense is probably uh, part, like far more a product of Pedersen and Kuzmenko uh, than Kuzmenko's is of Pedersen's. Like, I think Kuzmenko is on to something here. I think he's a really important part of that line. I think he's been a perfect fit on, on a on a on a line with Pedersen. I've been wildly impressed. Yeah, and I, I think that they're, like you just mentioned, they're bringing out the best in Mikheyev as well because we weren't sure, you know, about his scoring ability. We knew what he did well in terms of his foot speed and. You know, is this going to be, uh, is this just a case of Yannick Hansen before he got with the Sedins? You know what I mean? And and now he's actually score, uh, He's actually playing like he could be that 20-goal guy again. And, and there's got to be something more to it than just Boudreaux's suggestion that, hey, these guys sure like each other. Like, what is it about the three of them that's working so well right now? Because Pedersen, you know, he's a guy that can generally help everybody as well. But 
they still take some time to figure it out. And I think they've, I think they've stumbled onto some early chemistry right out of the gate. Well, I think, first of all, I think Pedersen's playing at the absolute apex of his powers, right? I mean, he's driving things five on five, even when the team wasn't going, he was making it work in terms of what the club was generating. Uh, that's still the case at the moment. You know, you look through, for example, like how Canucks players have played under the hood based on the underlying numbers over the course of this win streak or, or the course of this recent uptick in form. And, you know, <laughs> Pedersen has been on the ice for eight Canucks goals for and one against. <laughs> wow. I mean, when you're when your top center is outscoring the opposition eight to one, I, you're going to win some games. <laughs> it, it affords you it affords you a JT Miller every now and again. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, it's, you know, like some of that is noise, right? They are converting at an outrageous clip, you know, 15 plus percent on ice shooting. Andre Kuzmenko is carrying a rocking a 20 percent on ice shooting clip over the last six games. So some of that, you know, like, are they going to keep driving an eight to one edge <laughs> in goals for? Nope. Obviously not. It's the NHL. This league's too good for that. Um, you know, two to one is elite, right? Two to one is elite. Eight to one is outrageous. But, you know, they are like Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, and Pedersen are the only three Canucks players. The only three Canucks players over the course of the last six games who are in the black, right? Positive, above 50% by expected goals for. And like, realistically, no one is close. Like after them, after that trio, all plus 50% plus, Kuzmenko leading the way as he has all season. Uh, after those three, the next closest guys are at 46%. <laughs> like the, the, the difference for this Canucks team with those three guys on the ice and everyone else, like it's a vast gulf, a chasm. Um, they are truly carrying this team right now. And we're at the point where, you know, late, like the last half minute, of the game tonight in regulation, I was like, oh, they're for sure going to score here. This is unbelievable pressure. Uh, they've sort of hit this level where shift after shift, it feels like they're almost unlucky when they don't get a goal. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty fun to watch at the moment. Uh, yeah, there's no question about it. You mentioned Hoaglander starting to get some things going. We've seen him play well with Horvat previously, uh, but seeing, seeing hey, the three sorry, of Sorry, sorry. I just want to answer a question quickly. Jordy A. asks, Drancer, are you off Team Rebuild now that they've won some games finally? No! Yeah, no. but he, he, he also said, because I said, you know, I said, Jordy, you know better than that. And he said, I do. And for the record, I agree with basically all of Drancer's thoughts about the team's future. You do. That's what Jordy said. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he was, just, he was just triggering you because as we can tell, it's pretty damn easy to do. Got it. Yes, it okay. is. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, that's why I always say anything is possible. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's easy. It's no, like it what, easy. What's, what's it. that treat that Wallace likes that we'll do anything for? Turkey. Well, there you go. So <laughs> so consider anything is possible as my turkey because yeah. you will bite. I will always bite. You're right. It, yeah. it just bothers me. It just bothers <laughs> me. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's obviously look, there's a lot that's clicking right now for the Canucks, particularly offensively. I just don't see them generating enough to make it last. Uh, you know, I think the power play is going to keep being excellent. I thought tonight, though the they did the bulk of their damage five on five, I thought their power play easily could have had one or two again. No, they had um, one attempt tonight, didn't they? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. they still could have had two. That's how hot they are. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it really felt like the Sharks were lucky to not give up a goal on that power play opportunity. 
Yeah, you, you know, like there were yeah. there were a couple of different chances where it's like it was a half inch or a half centimeter away from being a buried opportunity or like a glorious grade A. Um, you know, it's it's really this club's looking so lethal, but some of this, especially at five on five, uh, I need to see a lot more. Hey, here's another thing I liked about the game tonight. I thought it was Oliver Ekman Larson's best game of the year tonight. Yeah, and he almost scored late in regulation. I think with eight seconds. Yeah, nice move chances. too. But even yeah, even before that, um, you know, yeah, he, in in terms of just his positioning, his physicality, his down low coverage, there was a lot to like in this game for him. There was. Tell me, tell me what. Two other topics I want to get into. One, um, Pod Colson, and I know he didn't play, and I know we're supposed to be like totally positive about the lineup, and you shouldn't be screwing with the lineup at this point, but. I I can't stand seeing him out of the lineup. And I know what he was I know what he wasn't doing, and I know what got him sat, but this guy is an important part of this organization's future. I know I was stumping for Jack Rathbone earlier, and I couldn't wrap my head around why Riley Stillman was playing, but clearly Burroughs is the best of those three, and they're right by playing him. And I just wish they'd take Rathbone and send him to the minors and just let like let him play. But like, what are we doing here with Pod Colson continuing to sit? And I know they're doing well, but you make goaltending changes. You you, you change, you, you don't just sit there and say, oh, we're playing Martin all the time right now. They did go to Demco tonight, which is the next topic. But first, they got to get this guy back in the lineup, don't they? This can't continue. Yeah. Um, they Well, what about Pod Colson? That's sorry. That's what I said. That's that's what I meant. They've got <laughs> right. to get Pod Colson back in the lineup. Okay, sorry. I thought sorry. you were talking about Rathbone. No, no, no. Uh, like earlier, that, that was my earlier um, comfort food. That was my turkey. Uh, I mean, that, you know, what, why are we playing Riley Stillman and not playing Jack Rathbone? Sure. But now that Burroughs is in, I'm, I'm, I'm there, right? And I'm a little nervous that Dermott's going to play and then we'll never see Rathbone again. But he didn't play well. He didn't earn it when he got the opportunities uh, no. after I was crying for him. I just wish they'd send him to Abbotsford and let him play. Well, but they might Bob have Coles to send is, both. If, if Bob Coles is not back in next game, you got to go get got, him minutes. I don't care if they're winning. He has to play. I agree with you. He's he's also no played fun. well. He's played well. No, he Pod Colson should be an everyday player in this lineup. There's no way he shouldn't. There's no way he shouldn't. Particularly given the fact that you know, as it like right now, you've got multiple bottom six lines rolling along at a like minus you know, or sorry, like below forty percent expected goals clip. You know, like even yeah. through this win streak. There's too many lines that aren't generating anything at all. There, you know, there's not even a chance that they're going to generate anything at all. Like even that Niels Amon Dakota Joshua line, you like how they play in matchup minutes against top six guys, but the chances of the Canucks actually doing anything productive in those minutes are minimal. The, the, the ice is just tilted against them in terms of the quality of chances being surrendered. Uh, Pot Colson can help that. You know, like there's all there's opportunities to get him in. Uh, they they got to figure it out because he's been really good when he's played, and he's a really vital piece for this organization's future. You know, like yeah, where can this team be efficient? Vasily Podgolzin on a, an affordable second deal, becoming a heavy press in your middle six or ideally on your top line. I mean, that's game changing stuff. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and he a, would a be... six game win streak in November. Who cares relative to that? Yeah, well, the thing is, is the way this team is playing, like he's in a much better position to have some success right now, given what some of the pieces around him would be doing. Right. And so you were seeing him get less and less ice time and eventually none because they're scratching him. But right now, if you put him on this team, 
you know, he, he's certainly not going to make it worse. And they could make him a lot better and put him in a much better space going forward. He's got to get in. I mean, over Joshua, uh, you know, do you play him over? Like, they're probably not going to play him over Curtis, Curtis Lazar at this point, but I'd be playing him over Joshua all day. And Well, I know, like Joshua. I mean, I, I, I know like, we have to be, we have to be careful. You're not going to play him. You're not going to play him ahead of the guys in the top six currently, right? So are you going to play him ahead of, of Garland? Are you going to play him ahead of Besser, who just saw his nine-game point streak come to an end? You know, the other option is take Dries out of there, who's actually been doing some good things. You know, could you put Lazar back on the third line and let Joshua play that way with Dries out? I, I don't know, but Pod Colson's got to play. Pod Colson's got to play, no question. Do you have me, by the way? Pardon me? Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and okay, clear. Cool. Sorry. Um, uh, how about Pod Colson's got to play? How about Thatcher Demko? He played well tonight. I mean, the Sharks were all over the Canucks for much of this game. Yeah, with it really tilting in their favor late. A lot of zone time, but not necessarily a lot of high danger in those in those shifts. Yeah, I still I still saw them as the more dangerous five on five team, and not by a slim margin. To be totally honest with you, I thought this was a really good Thatcher Demko game, like really good. And um, you they know, came I, back for him. They gave him the goals he needed. They did. And uh, that second you know, goal was pretty unfortunate. The one that bounced high and, and dropped in behind him, but he didn't see. Yeah, that was the first one. And uh, yeah, I mean, Thatcher, the okay. Thatcher Demko gave them the chance they needed to win. Like, you know, uh, the Canucks were probably better overall once you factor in the power play. But I thought the Sharks were, I thought the Sharks were, you know, uh, solid. They were game today and they definitely turned up late. Um, I thought Carlson was pretty creative. Um, so, you know, I, I liked, I liked bits of the Sharks game here and there, considering how absolutely overwhelmed they are on a talent basis, uh, against every opponent, but even against Vancouver. So yeah, no, I thought Demko was good. They need to go back though to like, I do think they need to get Demko in much like Pod Colson, like big picture, what matters more than, you know, getting back into the playoff mix. It's like developing Pod Colson. You know, making sure you get Demko back to the level where he's a difference maker for you. Like, those are big things. Those matter, right? This team's being one point behind Calgary or whatever it is, like, that doesn't matter. Who cares? Does not matter. Does not matter at all. And so, you know, I would have liked, like, I was a little disappointed that Demko didn't get the Vegas start in Vegas. Now, Martin played great, almost got a shutout. So I, I don't mean to second guess it, but I was disappointed because I thought that was a good opportunity to give your starter the chance to bounce back, like the, the starter level respect to bounce back from a, a tough third period in Vegas. It felt like on the heels of that Colorado game, um, it felt like a really important moment to make it clear symbolically that Demko's still the guy. Even, yeah, though, I don't, even though I don't the team's winning to, with Martin and Nett. I don't think you need to do that. I do. They always Why? did it with they always did it with Markstrom, man. They always did it with Markstrom, and I think it was an important part of adding to that mystique. Yeah, like it feels also, to me could, it feels to me like their it. confidence No, but there that feels to me like their confidence is dented in Demko at the moment. And yeah, he's he's dented it. It should be dented. Right? Like you you can't just sit there and treat like with someone who's not playing like a number one. No, they're not giving, like, there's others out here who would think they should treat Martin like the number one right now, even though we yeah, know no, and they're wrong. that's not going to be the case. And they're wrong, I, just like they were wrong about Pedersen last year. Alternating, alternating, splitting them right now, 
In this oh. league, no, you can't split them. In this yeah, league, Patterson in this league, you have to dance. Ice time last year. You have Patterson to dance destroyed. with the one who brought you. He hasn't brought him anywhere. He hasn't been good this year. He was average the final two months of last year. No. Yes, we know he was incredible. He average. was. We he was. Hey, look, he carried them when they <laughs> went on the Bruce there at his bump. Then he got banged up, and then he started playing average. He was overplayed. There was a reason for it. I will give him a pass, but let's not say he was elite the final two months of the season because that's he nonsense. Was splitting hairs he, uh, on the on the on balance, he was an elite starting goaltender in his first year as an elite starting goaltender, and that was with the club. Well, using yeah, all confidence, different using all confidence in their backup, right? Running Demko absolutely ragged into the ground. He made something like fifty-seven starts across fifty-six days, and then thereafter he had like a month where he looked human not not you know you say average i'm gonna say human and then he got injured here's like here's wow what I'll shocker tell, here's what I'll wow shocker we i'm sorry all, like after hey, have, after the demo all talked usage, about we've all talked about where he needs to go in terms of games played and if they're gonna do that on the front end more power to them you can't sit here and do sports psychology bullshit with a guy that's sports not playing psychology well right I, this isn't sports psychology. This is. I know, but that's what it is. Let's massage his ego no, and you tell have him to... he's still the starter and he feel is. like he's the starter, even though no. he's not playing well. Just we all know him... he's the starter. The salary dictates that. They Just will let him work through work. it. No, but you work through it with Ian Clark on the side, right? Like you can't sit here and say we got to massage his ego at the team's expense. No, it's... like that's. That's it's not, not, what that's do you not mean? the, the expense. You the worst that, thing for this team is that they've gotten hot and started winning these games. Yeah, but if they could the if they get him them. to 50, if they get him to 55 games or 50 games, sure, which many I, people believe is the right number, that that'd could be happen great. at different times in the season. I'm on board with that. I'm on board so, with that. So, so long as the right so long as I'm on board with that, so long as you have a plan. The problem is, is this like it, you know, it comes back to the day off. The day off that they had following the win against LA and the answer to why they had the day off was it was a gut feeling. Bruce Boudreaux called it a gut feeling. And it's like, how much of this is just gut feeling. And now granted from one of the winningest coaches in hockey, but like, are we designing Demko's path to 55 based on a gut feeling about who's playing better right now? That's not what I, that's, I don't think that's how a winning organization. Yeah, but you, you can't. You also gonna, can't control. Do it. I also won't. don't think that's how a winning organization is going to develop guys like Pod Colson and Rathbone and like. I, I'm done with these gut feelings. Like, yeah, but you can bank feeling. money right what? now. You can bank money right now. What's what's banking money? Rest. Banking yes. rest. Like, so you can you you can for run what? him for the a ground playoff run. And ease ease off ease off him later, or you can do it now. And if Martin's play and the you gotta you gotta you gotta Martin, save. You got to save that fuel for your charge up to ninth in the Western Conference. Look, it's ridiculous. Like, what, me, what are yeah, we talking you're, about? You're telling me they need to, mas- like, you're saying that they need to massage his ego right now and continue to say, "That's we not what I'm you. saying." We I'm got saying, you. I'm saying if you've got a, you've got a guy like Demko, a guy with swagger like that, a guy who's a Boy, bona fide like high end, any swagger. Yeah, his shoulders I know. are dropping. He looks like somebody beat his dog. It happens. Elite players, elite players in the early part, like. Demko's only been a workhorse starter once, and he ended the year hurt. Okay, so some of them need less pr- less pressure on them in this moment to work through their stuff and not feel like they're the reason the team is losing, because that's in his head too. That everything I do comes back to bite me. Uh, Martin gets all the bounces. Martin gets all the goal support, and everything I do, and I get my ass handed to me in my win loss record. Like 
you they could be protecting him on a lot of levels, right? Emotionally. So it's not all on him right now. And he can I, still work I mean, through it this way. If that's if that's what it is, if that's what it is, if this is a calculated decision to take the pressure off him, that's one thing. But it doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like it. It feels like an organization that's well, certainly a coach whose entire coaching future is dependent on offsetting uh, uh, what seems to be a pretty critical internal dynamic by winning enough to either overcome it's, it's, that or overcome that or make sure his resume is indisputable the next time out. And buddy, it's not just about Bruce. Bruce has to look everybody in the eye right now. If the organization makes a big picture decision to say we're going to rebuild, which they haven't done yet, or at least that hasn't been communicated to the players. Or oh, they're definitely, they're definitely, they had, they're not, not only has that not been done yet, that's not coming. That's my point. So my point is, yeah. is that Bruce does, he's not just protecting his job. He has to look every one of those players in the face and say, I'm doing the best thing for this team and you to win games because that's what they want. So it's not just about okay. his job. But if you're right? going to win big, if you're going to win big, not win enough to salvage the season in November, if you're going to win the games that matter, are you doing it with Martin or are you doing it with Demko? When when it comes down to it later, I'm asking you. Into, sorry, refer, uh, repeat. Yes the or no? Rep- uh, no or it's the a question. yes or no. Are, uh, when when it I comes was, down was, to it, when the when this team is at the point, you know, say say. Say you're able to turn it around in two or three years and you're playing meaningful games. Is it going to be Martin or is it going to be Demko? It's going to be Demko. thousand percent. Okay. Well, then everything should be like, what I want to see is the club prioritize what matters, which is getting Pod Colson up and running to the point where he's an impact player, which is getting Demko back to where he's been for most of his playing career. Like the really? other stuff to me is noise. The other yeah, stuff, I, the I other stuff like, oh, oh, Martin, Martin is is on like I really like Martin. I've been really impressed. But that doesn't mean that you should go away from giving Demko that basic level of like starters respect. He has a bad game, he gets to bounce back. You know, he has a, he has had a, a third lot period of against bad Vegas. games. He's had a lot of bad games. I get he's, it. I get it. He's so also he's also you can't mostly, compare Pod Colson because Pod Colson is a young guy whose confidence needs to be built. And Demko's That's a second Demko, year starter. He's yeah, a second-year starter. He might not be Demko a young has guy. Got his money, and when you get your money, it's because so, you pass judgment that's, that's, on a decision. You pass judgment that you are the guy, and you will get you back. You can handle all sorts of adversity, win, loss, uh, pulled for a few games. If we've got to get you out of there, like whatever it takes, you are mentally strong enough. You are our guy, and you're. You, you don't have to worry. You can handle this. He's playing well. We're not making. Martin the starter like other teams would do that where they give him like I said two-thirds of the games every two they're not doing that they're just splitting him they're giving him more time to be coached and they're not throwing him under the bus it's just I, a little I, I bit of I don't think ease. that's right I think it's a little a bit legit, of ease I think we there's saw, legit dented confidence and I think you're seeing that in the usage but there's a lot of smell it you can smell it man there's there is a lack of confidence and there okay. should be but it'll no, come there back shouldn't be. you gotta work always through, you gotta back. let your elite players work through that yeah, but we saw we saw um, Pedersen last year lose time, even under Bruce Boudreau. They were nice. He played 11 minutes. He was the best player on that team. Sure. Because, and, like, and you know what I mean? Clearly, like, there's organizational clearly, value. But clearly, Farhan, we're now, what, 21 games in, 21 games in. It's only the last three games that Pedersen's been playing toughs. 
So it's like we saw him lose time, and then after he regained his form, and once it was clear that he was their best option in Tufts, you know, he's still playing far too little considering the form that he's in. Yeah, I can't argue with that. They're he playing Neil Zaman. They played Neil Zaman as the primary match for Hurdle tonight. If they if they wind up loading up Pedersen now, what does that then also say to you about what this team is trying to do today versus for the future? Well, I mean, look, we know what this team is going to try and do. They're going to try and make the playoffs. They were built to try and make the playoffs. There's no question. There's no suspense. Okay, well, that's that's what the goaltending decision is about, too, right now. Sure, this I'm just saying that. I'm just the saying best it's wild. To win. It, fine. But when, when you're going to win big, it's going to be Demko. Everything should be d- done to prioritize winning big. It's the same logic for why I'm not, you know, singing to the moon about the win streak in November that I expected, right? Like I expected this team to come back to earth. Like who cares? Who cares? Who cares if you're eighth or ninth in the West? Who cares, man? Like that's not what this is about. At least this isn't what I think it's about for Canucks fans who desperately want to see this team win a cup, right? Like it's about being focused on the big picture. It's about doing things for reasons beyond gut feel and how the guys in the locker room feel about it. Like that's yeah, loser you're, stuff. You're, you're going to have a that's difficult time trying stuff. to convince Bruce Boudreaux to do anything but gut Obviously. feel. A spell so, sorry. A sp- I know. So let's, I know. let's, let's get into uh, some of the other stuff that's happened today. Cause there's been a lot of talk uh, on our chat room and, um, and certainly throughout Twitter today. Um, despite the fact that Canucks have won three straight and five of the last six, uh, there was a, uh, a tweet from Rachel Dory, former Canucks analyst, member of coaching staff, uh, who was uh, dismissed during training camp, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of timelines. And she she basically uh, is, has made a claim against the Canucks uh, to the uh, to the um, HRC. Human, pardon me? HRC. Yeah, to the Human Rights Commission, where she is saying that she was just essentially not treated well, that her dismissal uh, had to do with um, gender discrimination, uh, just her mental health issues, uh, things of that nature. Like, how much do we want to get into here about about what was in the document, which was eventually pulled, but then re-released uh, on another tweet on Rachel's Dropbox? Dropbox. Yeah. So, well, where, look, where do we go with this? I mean, this is an unfolding legal matter. The team and Emily Castingay uh, have released statements, or statements were released on Emily Castingay's behalf by the team, in addition to a team, a general team statement. Uh, this comes down to a accommodation of um, mental and physical disabilities, in addition to gender discrimination uh, allegations made in this document. You know, there's not too much we can editorialize about um, in regards to a matter uh, that, you know, presumably is going to be considered from an HRC perspective. Right. Uh, it, it could take years to resolve. So, you know, I, I don't think it's it serves anyone to speculate at this juncture or editorialize uh, too much. You know, we don't often get a window into how front offices operate uh, from an HR perspective. This is one. Um, So, you know, I'm not surprised by the reaction or or the level of interest. I just think we have to be careful about what we, uh, what we say. The only thing I'd really add to that and contradicting everything, all the preamble that I just gave is, you know, I, I do think, I do think it's important to have levers, devices for accountability in, in terms of hockey culture. 
I think a lot of what we've seen unfold over the past couple of years speaks to that. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll see if this does move forward um, and how it gets resolved from there. Yeah, I, I think the dialogue is good. And the Canucks have made some statements essentially denying uh, what was happened. Um, Emily Castengay uh, did the same. Uh, I know they've been posted as well that she basically, you know, didn't make these decisions based on gender discrimination and, and denied that uh, she said what was she, what she was alleged to have said. Um, so these things are difficult to necessarily prove, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate that Rachel is dealing what she's been dealing with as far as both from a physical health standpoint and from a mental health standpoint, we absolutely wish her well. And, um, you know, from a, from a Canuck standpoint, I know it's easy to take this situation and, pile it on to what's happening with the owner and so many other things that are happening on the ice. Um, and we're not going there one way or another, but to echo what, what Drancher just said, I think these conversations are positive regardless of what the findings are, because anytime this happens, it's one less piece of hockey hiding stuff under the rug. And again, that's not us passing judgment on the Canucks saying they're trying to hide something under the rug. All we're saying is that as an industry, we know that this has happened constantly. And we saw it happen with Kyle Beach. We've seen other cases since then that have come out. The more these things are discussed, the more mental health is discussed, the more gender equity is discussed, um, the better it makes it for the next team that's dealing with this. So they can think about what happened with the Canucks. Even if everybody is cleared in all of this, the fact that dialogue happens, I think, is a positive thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree 100%. So... And and just want to echo, you know, your sending of best wishes out to Rachel because the uh, account listed in that complaint, um, you know, it's hard not to be sympathetic um, considering the severity of it. All right. In terms of what we're going to do next on this here live show of the VanCast. Uh, those of you who've joined us before, you know how it goes. I mean, we don't always fight about goalies, but we usually fight about something, right? Which is um, fun. Yeah, I don't fight totally with harm fun. enough. Well, you'll you'll learn. We didn't fight enough early either. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What we're going to do now is invite everyone, if they'd like, to raise their hand. If you raise your hand, you can do so in the app. And we'll invite you up, up onto the stage to guide the conversation. Uh, so you can um, put your hand up and join the queue. As long as you join the queue in the next 10 minutes, we'll get to whatever questions anyone asks. So uh, that's sort of what we're hoping for. Uh, have, some, have some good engagement. We always get 
some we get, we get some pretty good questions in here. So if you want to ask a question, feel free to do so. And and if you don't, totally fine. Me and Farhan will keep chewing the fat in the meantime. Um, so we've talked about player usage. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I just want to ask you really quickly, Farhan, and feel free too to engage with us in the comment section. Are you convinced that this team has turned a corner by what you've seen over the last six games? Boy, I'm turning a corner in terms of stabilizing their play somewhat. It's possible, but you know, I see what you see in terms of the complete volatility of form, the highs and lows within every game. And sometimes within every shift, let alone every period, it's hard not to see that, right? There just is such inconsistency in their play in any given game that you have to think it's going to be reflected in the results like it is now in the high end. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there's a lot to like in terms of what that top line looks like, what the second line could turn into since they've added Hoaglander to it. Um, you know, is the D getting a little bit better when Travis Dermott gets back in the lineup? And, you know, they've got um, uh, Kyle Burrows playing, you know, playing well, like their pairs seem to have stabilized a bit. We saw some positivity from Oliver Ekman Larson today. You know, so there are things to like. I just want to see it in a larger sample size because what we see today is not what we're going to see on Tuesday in certain areas, right? So it's it's a tough question to answer. I would love to say, okay, well, now we've seen them get right back into it. There's a little less pressure on them now, and they're going to be able to play consistent hockey. I, I just I don't see that. Um, Karis asks, says he won't be convinced about turning a corner until I see Miller turning a corner. I kind of see Miller turning a corner, to be honest with you. Do you I really? Now? I do. Now that he's playing on the wing, like it's really hard to understate how bad the first 15 games were for him. Five on five, like from an underlying data, from an under the hood perspective, like levels where you'd begin to describe it as unplayable. Like if it was a depth guy who'd played 15 games like that, I probably would have been like, I don't think that's uh, that guy's playable. Um, That's how ugly the five on five data was. And over the last six games, anyway, uh, over like since they've really run with him and Horvat together, I think you're seeing a lot less of that. You're seeing a lot less of those just like entire games where Miller never sees the offensive end five on five. Um, You're seeing more sustained shifts. You're seeing the team control attempts, if not quality yet. Uh, I still think that, you know, there's probably a, a few too many chances going against with him on the ice at this point relative to what he's typically been able to do. But I think his form is way better, way better the last 10 than it was the first 11, like a, a night and day. So I, for me anyway, I would say there are signs of progress for Miller. Incredible pass to set up Kuzmenko on the breakaway for the winning goal in overtime. And, yeah, you know, there has. You're right. We've still seen a lot of those games where he's on the ice for every goal, but you don't necessarily look at every one of those goals and see it. it was the result of a Miller giveaway or Miller faulty yeah. down low in coverage. Like it's not as evident that even though he's on the ice, that it was on him. Yeah. Um, JC says team will turn a corner if the PK starts to function at 80% or higher. Um, that's or don't one. take penalties like you didn't tonight. Yeah. I, I also think, I also think that the, the bar is a lot lower than that. Like the PK doesn't need to be 80% even for this team to win games. It just needs to be like 75%, right? Just like their five on five form doesn't need to be great for this, for the things this team does do does well, right? There's a few things this team does well. They're opportunistic offensively. Some of that, yes, is, is fine shooting luck. 
Some of it's real finishing talent. Some of it too is situational. Like one thing I, I've really liked about the Boudreaux era Canucks is every time it's like a goalie changed, like a goalie change happens, you know, or, or what have you. You think about that Calgary game with the Markstrom equipment issue or something like that. Like the moment a team changes their netminder or has any weirdness, um, the Canucks just start shooting. Like how many times have you watched far better Canucks teams like during the golden era? And, it, and that situational awareness just wasn't there, right? Like the, the goalie changer, it's an inferior goalie or, you know, it's some backup, whatever. And like that backup, like stops a bunch of like perimeter shots and gets in a rhythm. And then they start making some saves and then it becomes, oh no, the Canucks are going to lose to some no-name goalie again. Like that doesn't happen to this team. It, it really just doesn't. Like when they have a chance to exploit a guy, it feels like they do it consistently. So I, I mean, all of that pays plays a role here in in what the team does well we know the power play is a legitimate game breaker on its own right there there are going to be more nights like we saw in vegas like th- there's going to be five or six games over the course of this year where you look at the stat sheet afterwards and it's like the connect scored six times or four times or three times that's what it looked like in 2019-22 right you remember that game connects rolled in nashville do you remember actually they played nashville in vancouver and then in nashville and scored on like seven of seven across two games against the Nashville. It was just outrageous. Well, this yeah. team's power plays even better than that one was. Uh, so you're going to get nights like that. You are going to keep getting nights like that. And Demko's going to stabilize. And between Demko and Martin, this team's going to have better goaltending than their opponents more often than not over the latter 56 games of the season. So what has to happen for this team to perform at the level of a playoff team from now to the end of it, right? Like an 80, uh, sorry, a 95 point pace sort of performance. Probably need to be like 49, 48, 49% by expected goals. To this point, they're well short of that. Probably need to be like 75% on the PK, not 80, 75. Like your, your bar is so much lower when you have the level of finishing and goaltending talent and a lights out power play the way the Canucks do. Um, it's just that I still see some softness in terms of the penalty killing, in terms of the five on five form. And that's even with, you know, guys like Ethan Bear, who've come in and played really well. Uh, here, here's another thing I want to ask you about. So Kuzmenko, I, you saw Dan Milstein, Kuzmenko's agent tweet out a bunch of money bags emojis in the wake of the overtime winner. Did you not? I didn't. I just saw Rick's, uh, uh quote from, yeah. Well, Rick texted him because Milstein oh, dropped okay, a okay. money bags bomb on Twitter <laughs> to celebrate so, so the Kuzmenko goal. So what do you think the number turns into for him to get him resigned after one oh. year? Like, depending on, let's say. I have no idea. Points. I honestly, like, it's really hard to figure out because we don't see a lot of guys come over having never played in the NHL at this age and then do this. Like, we just, you know, he's on pace for 40 goals. He's on pace for 40 goals, 80 points. Like, I don't even know what his contract looks like if the, if those are his statistics because there's no track record of doing it previously. And we just don't see that happen very often. You know, I, I mean, I guess you'd look to, like, Evgeny Dadanov, who signed, but he signed a four-year, like, he was not subject to the entry-level system when he first came over. So he signed, like, a three-year $4 million deal and then sign that $5 million deal that he's on currently. Um, you look at Artemi Panarin, he was an RFA. Like 
Panarin was an RFA. He wins the, he beats out McDavid for the Calder, pretty good, and then follows it up in 16-17 with another 74 points in 82 games, which, by the way, Kuzpinko's on pace for more than that. And then he signs a two times six million dollar deal. And that's as an RFA before going max, max, you know, term uh, as a UFA, the top UFA for the Rangers. And and that's his current deal. That's eleven and a half million. So, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know there aren't comparables for this. You know me. I've done my work. Like, I have my list of comparables. I I don't I, I can't think of an analogous situation uh, as to what Kuzmenko's coming into that contract could look like anything like it could it could look like anything um it would be incredible if they you know horvat gets 40 goals you know kuzmenko gets 50 points the canucks 50 points the po- or 60 points i should you say the canucks like missed 20 the, more i know <laughs> canucks, canucks missed the playoffs by a point and both guys walk oh painful painful um uh, here's the other one, though. Here's the other one that I think is an interesting one to think about. Ethan Bear. Yeah, we just got asked. Jordy was asking if we think he's got a long-term future with the Canucks. Uh, maybe. So, uh, someone maybe. brings up... I never hear maybe from you. Sorry, one second. Someone brings up Kirill Kaprizov as a comparable here, but Kaprizov was an RFA. Right? So, even though what Kaprizov yeah. did was outrageous... Kaprizov comes over 1920 is like ineligible to play, but his deal still um, tolls that year. Uh, 2021, he wins the rookie of the year award. And then he's a 10.2 C. He's not even on RFA. He's no free agent at all. He's a, he's a black hole player. And that, and then he signs the five times $9 million deal. Um, So Kaprizov is also not a comparable for this situation. Uh, pretty incredible. Um, Errol F, by the way, suggests 5.5 million for Kuzmenko. And, you know, that to me sounds very, very team friendly if he keeps scoring like this, right? Like even if he is, even is there anything to deflate his value? I mean, you know, that he's only done it for one year. Like there's nothing deflating his value. His number, that that does deflate your value, but not when you're a UFA. Like that's what I mean. At the end of the day, it's what the market will pay you. And I mean, so, you know, it's, it's tough. There's, you're right. There's nothing restraining it. The Ethan Bear one's interesting to me because I think there could be, there's an element to which if you see Bear as a, as like a long-term top four fixture, or even a guy who has a chance to be a long-term top four fixture, but really you like him as a four or five, if you can figure that out, Um, you know, Every minute he spends playing the sort of role that the Canucks have him in takes him further and further away from when he was scratched for 21 straight games, right? And brings you to a point where his arbitration case is strong, right? Like tonight he plays 17 minutes, five on five. So that's, you know, four or five minutes. Um, by the way, number two on the Canucks in five on five ice time, regular healthy scratch Cal Burrows. <laughs> well, um, but, but back to Bear, like how much we talked about Oliver Ekman Larson playing really well today. Like how much is Bear helping Ekman Larson right now? Oh, I, I, I mean, to my eyes, a fair bit. And so you look at Bear. Here's the thing to be mindful of. He's an RFA with a high QO, 2.2 million and arbitration rights. So. Every moment he spends 
playing regular minutes, scoring occasionally, chipping in offensively, being like a key thing, helping Oliver Ekman Larson play better is it, he's strengthening his case. He's making himself more and more expensive as you go. And at the end of the day, he's got some leverage outside of your own opinion of him because of those arbitration rights. And no one likes to go to arbitration because you lose control of the contract value, especially for a guy who's, you know, probably not going to come in above the walkway rate, right? You, you might get stuck in it. Uh, this is why we see an increasing number of really talented players hit unrestricted free agency on qualifying. This is why it was a surprise, frankly, when the Carolina Hurricanes qualified Bear at all. So, I mean, this is one where, like, Bear and, I mean, everyone's talking about Kuzmenko and Horvat, but I really think the club would be best served instead sort of swerving here and thinking long and hard about proactively locking up Bear and Hoaglander as sort of priority guys who you might want to sign now for uh, for term based on their age and, you know, somewhat affordably, like using term to keep their cap hit down. If you're trying to do the quick build, the quick transition in two, three years, to me, those are the no-brainers. Those are almost the deals you start with. Because Kuzmenko and Horvat, you probably need to clear space out first. You might even be looking at you know, trying, if you hold them beyond the deadline, uh, trying to sort of wait it out and, and see what you can, what you can move off of salary wise in the off season before committing the sort of term and dollar that those guys are going to require. If you're going to keep them, I might, I might start with the smaller stuff first, uh, particularly when it came to uh, retaining players. I sort of wonder if that's something the club might consider, particularly given how arbitration uh, the arbitration dynamic impacts Bear in uh, specifically. Yeah, well, it makes sense for those guys, for Hoaglander as well. And for me, like, I, w- I would be active on Kuzmenko now. The longer this goes, the harder it's going to get. Um, ah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to disagree with you there. But for me, I, I just, like, I need to see more. Uh, the, the thing with Kuzmenko is as good as he's been, I'm I'd be nervous about committing to a guy who's only played, you know, at this point in his career, 255 on five minutes. Right. I've really liked those minutes, but he's also uh, got a 13.7 percent on ice shooting clip. Right? Like, you know, I was talking about how mediocrity can be hard to see for teams. Yeah, it's, it's the same for like goal scoring, like goal scoring is necessarily a streaky enterprise so like what does a 20 goal scorer look like it's not one goal every four games in our mind's eye that's what we think a 20 goal scorer looks like but really a 20 goal scorer is like half the season or not half the season but a quarter of the season with like two goals and then five in six games (laughs) right and then another 12 games without a goal and then a hat trick and then another three games without a goal and by the end of it you're a 20 goal scorer Right. Like uh, Bo Horvat is not going to be a 60 goal scorer, even though that's what he's on pace for. I don't think. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not putting it past him, but I don't think he's going to be a 60 goal scorer, more likely 40. But that's like a 40 goal scorer with what? What's he up to? 17 or something ridiculous in 21 yeah. games. Right. Like 
you know, that, that means there's 20 more goals to come over 60. That's a get goal every three games. And guess what? It's not going to be neat like that. It's not going to be one goal a week, right? There's going to be two weeks in, in a row where Bo Horvat doesn't score, probably. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd bet on that right now, but probably. Um, so, you know, this is sort of how things work in a league as difficult as the NHL. Uh, I'd be really reluctant to commit proactively to Kuzmenko given how limited a sample we've seen of him at the NHL level um, and how inflated some of his scoring stats probably are by the run of, you know, um, prosperous, uh, <laughs> fortunate shooting luck this team is on. No, for me, and I, I wouldn't sign him now. This club's been in that situation before where they, I mean, you know, even the Demko contract was signed really, really early, right? And it worked out well. But it was a bit of a leap of faith when Benning signed him to that deal early on, right? Um, want to change gears real quick? And oh, sorry, sorry. I want to, I want to, I want to do. Let me, let me jump in. Okay. Just because I want to flex. JC asks, "How are each of you doing in your fantasy football leagues? You don't oh, really play. You don't no, really I don't play, play, do fantasy, you? No. I mean, I yeah. watch. You know me. I watch it religiously, but I don't play. Yeah. So I finally this week had the week that I've been looking for all season. Where I won uh-huh. all four of my fantasy football leagues um, in one weekend. Players. Oh, so I mean, a variety of them. Like in one league, I left Miles Sanders on the bench and I'm still winning by 100 points, which is an incredible flex. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks to a variety of, a variety of all star players. The, what were the, the odds at the start of the year on Jalen Hurts winning the MVP? Oh, that I, you know what? I actually know it was, uh, it was 12 to 1. Wow, which is better than I thought. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, everyone knew they had a soft schedule. Like I think by the time you got to the start of the year, people knew they had a soft schedule. But um, but yeah, I so I, I won. I won all four of my fantasy football leagues this weekend, and I'm very excited about it. And I won both of my fantasy football uh, basketball leagues this week too. So six and zero in the fantasy sphere for me today, um, which I'm very excited about. Okay, sorry. Uh, go back to the actual topic at hand. Well, I just want to look around. You know, people when people are talking about um, the Canucks and standings and things like that early on. Um, and first of all, one final call here for anybody who wants to come on and join us in the stage queue. We've got a lot of listeners, but you know, normally we we're beating guys off on the stage queue. But uh, if you want to weigh in and, and get on, <laughs> I don't know about that, man. You might want to rephrase that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, let's uh, I'm gonna, oh I'm boy, gonna, I shouldn't touch that. Um, <laughs> no, when you look you at the team, I know when you look at the teams around that. When you look at the teams around Vancouver, Edmonton sitting one point ahead of Vancouver right now through 21 games. And not the points, but are we shocked at where Edmonton is? Are we shocked where Calgary is? Are we shocked where Seattle is? I know we, so you and I both talked about Seattle improving this offseason based on some of the moves, but nobody expected them to be sitting here at, <laughs> at a 690 points percentage. Um, who surprises you the most? I'm most surprised with you, Farhan. <laughs> no, I'm- <laughs> I love the reaction in the comment section. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, the Oilers. So the Oilers are going to be fine. I think they always have a stretch like this every season. I mean, I never really bought the Oilers as the class of the West or as the class of the Pacific. I'm I'm more surprised that Calgary has struggled to the extent that they have. And by a fair bit, especially because the specific reason they're struggling is they're not preventing goals. 
Like, I thought this team was going to be the best defensive team in hockey. I didn't think it was going to be close. I thought they were going to be absolutely impossible to score goals on. And, and you look around the league right now, the best defensive teams in hockey, you know, they've allowed, what, two, two and a half goals a game. I mean, it's a, it's a high-scoring league these days, right? So you're, you've got a few teams that are like, they've only allowed 47 goals. That's the best sort of defense in hockey. And the Calgary Flames are 20 goals above that, 68 goals against, um, you know, deeply middle of the pack, if not a little bit worse. Uh, that to me is the biggest surprise. Like I thought the Calgary Flames were going to be the best defensive team in the league. I didn't think it was going to be close. That has not been the case, at least from a goal prevention standpoint. Now, I expect Calgary to still be closer to the team that I expected them to be over the balance of the season, because a lot of their struggles are Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar haven't been making saves. Um, that's not going to continue. I think those guys are really good. But yeah, that to me is the biggest surprise in the Pacific at this juncture. I, Seattle too, but I think Seattle's a little bit soft in terms of who they are. Like they've added some speed, but the, you know that's another team. Like the Canucks have shot 13%, for example, over the past two weeks. Uh, that's number one in the NHL and not by a little bit, right? Number two is Detroit. They're 12. And number three is the Seattle Kraken, and they're like 11 and a half. So the Kraken are winning a lot of games. They beat the Ducks tonight. They crushed the Golden Knights uh, the other night. Um, but a lot, they're getting pretty fortunate from a from a shooting luck perspective, too. Um, so, you know, I think Seattle's, I, I, I'm not like, I'm surprised by Seattle, but I'm not buying their glow up. Uh, just like I'm not really buying the Calgary Flames dip, or I am buying the dip. I think they're going to come back up. Edmonton, injuries really weighting them down. They had a couple more announced today, Kaylor Yamamoto and, and somebody else. I can't remember. They had and another, Kane's, Kane's still going to be out for quite a while. Here. Well, Kane's going to be out, but they had a couple other forward injuries. And then you get to this moment for them where, like, you know, Yamamoto and Ryan McLeod. So that that hurts, right? Like, those that hurts because... What kills the Oilers is when you've got McDavid, Dreisaitl, and like 10 non-NHL forwards. Um, well, especially when you, every year Edmonton goes through this thing where they're like, oh, wait a minute, they're just not as good when they're apart. And they put them together, right? And then the rest of your lines kind of hemorrhage a little bit. Yeah, no, I know. Then uh, don't get me wrong, so, like they're, they are both exceptional players, but they are better together. Well, not one thing. On the power play. One thing, one thing I think Edmonton's really done poorly, uh, not just building their blue line, but overpaying for depth pieces, right? I mean, Evander Kane's a nice, Evander Kane's a nice to have, Zach Hyman's a nice to have, but like those are guys that really good organizations can replace affordably. Yeah, but I'll tell you, Kane was a big, say what you want, Kane was a big difference maker for them a year ago. He was in the playoffs. He was great for sure. You know what? He was also added mid-season, you know, off the scrap heap. Like for 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 Edmonton, I think if you're going to win sustainably, you need to be prepared to do that, right? Like you need to be prepared to not sign Jack Campbell, but to find the affordable guy who can bounce back and doesn't cost you five million for the next five years. You need to be prepared to you know identify the Michael Bunting, not sign the Zach Hyman. Like you need to be prepared to do that, and the Oilers typically haven't been, and I think it's I think it hurts them, and I think I think the the bill is only going to come due 
as we get to the tail end of McDavid's statistical prime, which is, you know, unfortunate for that fan base and maybe fortunate for our listeners. LOL. From Rohan K, I have one question, but I'm too sick to raise my voice. Or sorry, feel better, bud. Sick. Yeah, feel better, Rohan. Drench, you were all in on the Rangers in, the, in this, uh, this season as a bona fide top-tier team. They're sitting at 10th in the East. What gives? Yeah, they're not good. I mean, so first of all, coming into the season, I was all in on the Rangers regressing. And then they were so impressive right out the gate that I bought it. I was like, oh, man, I buy this now. I buy the Rangers glow up. I think this team is good, uh, especially because they've got so much young talent on defense. And then they've kind of flatlined. And they've looked a lot like the team that I was fading. Uh, last season. So, um, you know, Shesterkin's come back to earth a little bit. That was inevitable. He was historically good last year. Excuse me, just had to cough. Um, so, you know, I, that's a big part of it, but also I just don't think they've taken the step. Their young guys haven't taken the step that it looked like they had in that first week of the season. So that that's one of those small samples uh, where, you know, I'm, I'm watching the Rangers control play and do all the things that I was critical of them not being able to do a year ago. And I was like, OK, I believe this now. Like, I believe that Capocacco and Lafreniere and Keandre and Schneider and Hedl and the addition of Trocek and, and all the other great players that they have, Zibanejad and Panarin. Like, I believe that this is a group capable of finding a new gear five on five. And now that I'm seeing it, it makes sense to me. I, I, you know, I'm buying this. And I think that was, um, I think I should have just waited. Should have just waited another week or two before, uh, before sort of anointing the Rangers as having arrived. I, I just don't think they have yet. Meanwhile, we probably haven't talked enough about last night's game against Vegas, right? I mean, a team that uh, is having a very good season so far, seven, seven seventeen winning percentage leading the Pacific Division right now with 33 points. Spencer Martin played real well to start and kind of allowed the Canucks to catch your legs a little bit. And then bang, they jump out to a two nothing lead in the first four, nothing after that. Like what was that all about after the way things ended the other night against Vegas? I mean, and you talk about the highs and lows of this team. Well, the, I know the, it was all power play. Yeah, it was, it was awesome though. It was the power play is amazing. And, um, you know, Martin's a great story. He's going to earn himself a lot of money and a lot more NHL starts, provided he continues to play like this. And he's a really easy guy to root for in terms of his demeanor, in terms of his personality, in terms of the path that he's taken to this point. Um, you know, I'm all in on the Martin storyline. I just think this team needs to be really circumspect about how they manage their goalie starts. And, and I do think, you know, if you're going to have a guy and he's going to be the guy, I think it's important that you, you know, okay, we, we, we don't want to go back and, and no, and I do that argument. I mean, I'm just talking <laughs> about the offensively <laughs> and what they did. Like, okay, we'll, we'll let you, your answer. You won. Are you happy now? You won the, the, uh, oh, it's my, my, all the VIPs my, favorite, me, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, all the VIPs way, agreed with me. My Let's, favorite way to win an argument is to keep bringing it up until the I other know. person just gets annoyed. Jeez, you're like COVID. <laughs> At some point you're going to end. So, <laughs> Listen, uh, but as far as the rest of it, I mean, that was a pretty impressive performance, five on or power play or not. For sure. I mean, for sure. But again, this team's number one in the NHL with a 13% conversion clip, which means opposition goaltending 870 against the Canucks over the course of this 
six game win streak, right? Mm-hmm. Goaltenders in this league are too good for that to continue for long. And when the offense dries up, when the bounces start to go against you, when you hit the three posts one night, you know, like we've, we've all watched hockey long enough to know how well, this these, team alone how these things, this year. Yeah. How these things ebbs and flow. Year. Right. Um, you have to be able to fall back on something material. Now, the good thing for this team is they have something material cooking five on five or sorry, five on four, right? Five on four. They're generating a lot. Five on four. Their power play looks legitimately, excuse me, legitimately elite. But at five on five, I'm short. I'm short selling this offense as a high end group. I know they've scored a ton of goals. I know it's hard to see in the moment. But in terms of what they're generating five on five, I don't think there's a consistent enough threat, um, you know, going on right now. And and so I think once the bounces hit or I worry that once the bounces hit, this team could be in real tough to maintain their gains, to find the goals that they need uh, in big moments, particularly as you get deeper into the season and power play opportunities become tougher to come by. Uh, what are they right now? Second, sorry, they're third in the West in, in goals for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fading that. I'm fading yeah. that overall. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're, I think they're, you know, an average offensive team with an above average power play. So, or not an above average, an elite. A but weren't you, one of the, weren't you one of those who felt coming into the year that they could put together three really good lines that all could potentially score? And that, I, granted, that factors in JT Miller as a center. I mean, that hasn't happened. No, I, I, I'd say I, I was fading. I was fading that a bit because I thought that the pieces that they had didn't necessarily fit together that well, right? And I think ultimately you need like you you can have all the finishing talent in the world, but to be a really high end offensive team, you need to move the puck better than this team does. Uh, well, yeah, they do need to transition from from their defense up to their forwards a little bit better than they have been. But uh, slowly, we're seeing a little bit of that during this little run. We'll see how consistent it can be. But um, yeah, I mean, like yeah. I said, I've seen I've seen some good breakout passes from Oliver Ekman Larson, from from Tyler Myers. Like we've seen just a little more clean movement uh, during these last two weeks. And I, I'm just curious to see how how much longer they can ride this. Otherwise, or at some point, you know, their their true colors come back. Well, and they. I mean, this sets up nicely, right? The schedule sets up nicely for them here. They come home. You've got a long homestand. You've got a Capitals team that um, isn't very fast, right? That's like beginning to look a little long in the tooth. That doesn't have Dmitry Orlov at the moment, right? You've got a Panthers team that's been only okay, right? That's only been okay to this point. Sasha Barkov, not exactly clear what he's dealing with. He's sort of in and out of the lineup with illness, uh, 50-50 that we even get to see him play in Vancouver on the first. Coyotes, Canadians, Sharks. That's your next five games. Like, th- this team should be able to win three of those. Like, Boy, very, very year. realistically. Maybe, maybe more. And then, you know, you get closer to Christmas. Wild Flames, Jets, Blues, Kraken, Oilers. So that's really the meat of it. But for the next five games, you know, I, I would not be astonished at all if the Canucks can, you know, maybe in honor of the uh, one-year anniversary of the club hiring Bruce Boudreau, <laughs> get on sort of a December Boudreau bump run here. Wouldn't shock me at all. 
Wow. Next time we do a live room, we could be talking about a team that's above the playoff bar. Talking about <laughs> talking about buying. Talking about signing their players long term. JC says I put the mean in regression to the mean, which yeah, I honestly think I need that. I need that to be a, a slogan of some kind. All right, bud, should we pack it in? Yeah, I think we should. Did you watch any college football on Saturday? I'd be lying if I told, like, I had to PVR the Canuck game and watch it later because I wasn't missing the Apple Cup. Yeah, no, I didn't care at all. It's too bad. You're missing out. Sorry, bud. Um, All right, well, listen, on that note, uh, we will let you all run. Uh, We we, we are going to post this, so it will be available tomorrow if anybody wants to listen and revisit our argument from earlier today on goaltending, which I'm going to prevent Drancer from bringing up again. And then Harm and I are going to do our more civilized version of VanCast on Wednesday. So uh, we'll see what happens after the Canucks game against Washington on Tuesday night. Sounds good, man. You have we, don't, we never read any. We never read any ads on this live room. This is the best part. I know. Well, I, I and uh, and should I? Do I get to plug my stuff? Should I plug my stuff? Oh, I don't know. It's your story. You tell it. <laughs> just don't. Just don't talk goaltending. You know where to find me. I'm a Canucks talk. I'm at The Athletic. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. We'll talk soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.